Good morning again, Christ Fellowship. Some of you know that a couple years ago, Jen and I, we had the opportunity to go to Africa. We went to Kenya, and we went there to help build a school in Kenya. But one of the things that we were able to do, we were able to go to the Maasai Mara, uh, which is a really cool place to see wild animals. Anyone would have loved to have gone see wild animals? Some of you are like, no, nah, I'm saying Elizabeth. There's some wild animals in Elizabeth, too. So there's some, like, crazy pigeons, broad street pigeons and raccoons that can attack you. Don't worry. But we ended up going there, and it was an amazing, amazing time. And while we were there, uh, one of the most powerful animals uh, we were able to see very up close, very close. When I tell you how close we were, we're pretty much, we're in a vehicle here, and the animal is here, very close. And it was like boggling my mind, too, how they were pretty much just telling us, make sure you don't put no limbs out the window. Like, don't put your arm out to take a picture or not even your leg out, because what happens is that this animal sees the vehicle as a big animal. So he sees it as one unit, and he sees the fumes and everything like that. So he doesn't really tend to attack it at all. He'll walk around it. And some of you will know uh, and could guess who it is. The picture is going to be right behind me, a lion. So the lion was very close to us many times. But I tell you, one of the biggest things that I ended up learning from that experience is that I always thought that the lion would go straight to attack their prey. I thought that the lion would go full speed and really attack the animal, uh, whatever animal it wants. But to my surprise, it did the exact opposite. The animal would lay down on the ground and the animal would literally try to blend in with the high grass and would be extremely slow in its process in trying to get its prey. Extremely slow. We would literally stay there in the car looking at the animal, staring at the prey easily for an hour, and it just moved about a couple of inches towards it. A couple of inches in an hour. It wasn't moving fast towards it. It was literally trying to pretty much see the odds of it being able to get it and wanted to bring the animal to a place where the, um, the lion knew that it was definitely able to grab its prey. So inch by inch, the lion would make its way to the prey and we asked the tour guide, how long does this take? How long would the lion end up doing this? And he said, it could be the entire day. The entire day from the morning to the evening, pretty much just literally just scoping out animals and just going inch by inch, just trying to be able to capture it, but taking its time. Because he doesn't want to scare away the animal. The lion doesn't want to pretend like, you know, like give the, the animal a chance to get a head start to run away. The lion is trying to be as slick as possible, you could say, to be able to attack and devour its prey. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we see this. 
It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And one of the biggest things I want you to realize here is just like a real lion would do, the enemy wants to be subtle. The enemy wants to attack not in your face. He's not going to go in your face and say, deny Jesus or, or don't follow Jesus. Don't, in no way, shape, or form. He wouldn't do that. He wants to be smooth in his schemes and trying to do things pretty much undercover. In the high grass, in the weeds, you could say, he wants to be able to move slowly to be able to attack and devour its prey when it least expects it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, this is our key verse for our series, Declaring War. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I just want to highlight that. You know, it, it, I, I love the way that it says schemes there. Because that's the way the enemy operates. It's not like the devil's frontal attacks or anything like that. No, the devil's schemes. We got to be on alert. We can't be sleeping. We can't pretend that there's not an enemy that wants to devour us. We need to be aware of our surroundings and know what's happening. In verse 12, it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we know this. And we know that God's given us the authority. It's his authority. Now, something that we need to realize is this, is that the authority that God has given us is, is something that we need to realize that we need to live under God's authority to operate in his authority. And we'll go a little bit deeper in that. I'm giving you a little bit of recap from last week. We highlighted Luke chapter 10, verse 19. It says this. Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. Now, a big question I have for you is who did he give this authority to in this passage? Did he give it to Jesus' fans? There's a lot of people that are fans of Jesus, that love to make a lot of noise for Jesus, but they truly haven't given their lives for Jesus. Were they even followers? Because you know what? There's a lot of people that follow Jesus, but I'm going to take a, deep, a, a deeper level. Is Here we know that Jesus gave his authority to the, his disciples. To disciples. And that's the word for the year for our church, to be one and to make one. So if you want to live with God's authority, you need to be a disciple of his. We know, if, in case you missed last week's um, teaching, last week's teaching we talked about seven sons that were going out trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, but 
They weren't disciples of Jesus. And what ended up happening? For some of you that remember, they pretty much got beat up by the demonic forces. Because they were going out using authority without being true disciples of Jesus. So for us, we need to realize you could only effectively use the authority that God has given you when you're personally living under his authority yourself. So question, are you a disciple of Jesus? Because even in this room, there might be some that are fans of Jesus. Some of us that might consider ourselves followers of Jesus. But when I say follower, I don't mean you've given your life completely to him. You follow Jesus, but you haven't dedicated your life to him. But God wants us to be a disciple. God wants you to lay down your life, your agenda, make him the Lord of your life, and let him guide your life. And you know what's amazing? It doesn't matter where you start from. It doesn't matter where you are, are at today. Today could be the day you decide to be a disciple. You decide to allow God to transform your heart, to change your mind, to change your life. No matter what your past has been, God's able even to use your past to advance his kingdom. Now, this is something important. With the authority given to you by God, it is your responsibility to live in victory over the enemy in the territories of your heart and mind. It's your responsibility. It's no one else's responsibility to win the victories in your heart and mind. And right now, at this very moment, there's areas in your lives that there's no victory over. Right now, at this very moment, there's areas in your heart and in your mind that right now, the enemy could have pretty much developed his own pretty much area, which I'm going to call this specific area a stronghold. Pretty much building a stronghold in your mind or heart to make us believe or live out certain things that are not, his, uh, not God's ways. Now, the, how many of you have heard the word stronghold before? Raise your hand. Okay, so many of us know a little bit what the, strong, the word stronghold means. But I'm going to tell you pretty much the Greek word for it. The Greek word pretty much highlights it being a place, an opportunity, or even a foothold. So right now, this moment, the enemy is looking for a place to have, a fortified place to have in your heart or mind. He's looking for an opportunity. Like, you know, it's almost a lot of times like um, when there's crime that happens in the community, a lot of times it's not planned. A lot of times people don't plan to commit a crime. The opportunity presents itself and they take action at that moment. So the enemy's looking for opportunity in our hearts and lives, in our minds, so that he would be able to try to attack and to build, you could say, his, whole, his stronghold or a foothold. Some of us might know in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it says this. Do not give the devil a foothold. How many of you have ever been in a situation where someone's trying to close the door on you or something and you put your foot in the way? 
And all you need is really that foot in the way to be able to make your way little by little into that room and that area. Here we see in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, it pretty much highlights that the enemy's looking for in your life just to be able to put his foot a foothold, an opportunity, a place where he would be trying to gain some ground in your heart and mind. And what's amazing is that the enemy is so slick and pretty much his, in his scheming ways that sometimes he's doing it and we don't even realize it. We might not realize it at all. Even to the point we might think that things are normal. We might think that pretty much the way that the enemy wants us to live and operate in is the way that we're supposed to. It just becomes part of our life because they have such a stronghold in us that we've believed his lies way too long. Many of us need to realize too is that when a nation wants to take over another nation, or is plotting to attack another nation, what they end up doing is wanting to develop a stronghold in that nation. Pretty much a beachhead, some of us. A place that they could come in, pretty much build some type of safe area, a a fortified area, you could say, so that the other troops that are coming in could go there, get supplies, and run from there and be launched to take over more territory, and more territory. Everybody in this room, including myself, at one point or another in our lives, the enemy had beachheads, strongholds in our lives. And not only did he have strongholds, he wasn't just satisfied with the stronghold. The enemy wanted to pursue and gain more territory in your heart and life and in your mind. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to attack us. And a lot of times we don't realize that the battlefield is in our mind. The battle is in our mind. And I'm going to give you a big, deep, uh, pretty much theological definition of what a stronghold is. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Okay. A stronghold is a stronghold. That was deep, right? That was deep. A stronghold is a strong hold. Not deep, but at the same time, very true. If there's a stronghold in your life, the enemy, there's a certain part in your life, in your heart and mind, where the enemy has a strong hold on you. You might have victory with God in so many different areas, but there might be a specific area that the enemy's like, I'm not letting go of this area. And we, God wants us to live and have victory over it. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're probably thinking, it's like, you know what? It's about territory. It's about having an opportunity, a foothold that the enemy wants to come in and pretty much have a beachhead. You might be thinking, it's like, I, I looked out the window. I didn't see the enemy in my backyard with a little tent. You know what I mean? A little tent trying to hide in our backyard, trying to gain territory. Or a little section in your apartment. You didn't see the enemy hiding in the corner there with a little wall. Be like, I'm going to get you with Nerf guns. Be like, I'm going to get you when you least expect it. But the truth is, the enemy is there. 
And what, what happens is that the enemy is trying to have that stronghold no matter what. But we already know that God wants us to have the victory. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the battlefield of the mind. Because in your mind is where the battle is. Because once you have the victory in your mind over the enemy, then it doesn't translate to physically or anything else. Because it starts off in your mind where the enemy is trying to attack. And what's crazy too is that as he tries to attack, it starts off as a thought. It's one thought. But you know what happens with one thought? When you believe that one thought, then guess what he does? He brings you a second thought to reinforce the first thought. And then when you've believed the second thought, you know what he does? He brings in the third thought to reinforce the first and second. It goes on and on. And I want you to picture this. I want you to picture each thought almost as being pretty much bricks that are being used, pretty much bricks, large stones that are being used to uh, like pretty much as a fortress, as a stronghold for the enemy. So as you believe the thoughts that the enemy has planted in your mind, they end up being these bricks that the enemy uses to build the stronghold. Some of us, it might just be at this level. There might be just a couple thoughts that we've believed. And we, little by little, we try to fight and not believe the lies of the enemy. But there's others of us, since we were young, we've believed certain lies to the point that the enemy has not, not just a little area, he has a fortress that he's built. He's built a fortress in our mind. The stronghold is so deep that we've believed his lies to be truth. And we'll go into that a little bit more. You see, when I want you to understand this. When the enemy's thoughts enter your mind, it will either find a playground or a prison. When the enemy's thoughts come into your mind, it's either going to find a playground where his thoughts could do whatever it wants, or all of a sudden his thoughts will find a prison where you're going to lock his thoughts up. And not allow it to have the impact the enemy would want it to have. And you'll understand a little bit more even when I read a, a key verse. But it's up to you. It's like when the enemy whispers to you, does it find the playground? Do you even resist the enemy's thoughts? Do you just believe what the enemy says? And you know what? It's not like the enemy is always constantly there pouring thoughts over our minds. What happens is when the enemy has a stronghold that's strong already and it's pretty much a pattern that we've believed, he could walk away because we start believing the whispers that he said years ago to us. And we think that they're still prevalent today. So is it a playground for the enemy or a prison where you lock up the thoughts and you don't allow the thoughts to have its way? I don't know how many of you know a little bit about um, tenant laws here in New Jersey. Um, in New Jersey, it has the strongest tenant rights laws in the whole country. Tenants' rights laws in New Jersey are really, really intense. 
So just to give you an example about tenants' rights of something that was shared, in, uh, an attorney shared it with me, is this. Imagine you own a house, and the, you own the house. The title of the house is under your name, only your name. It's your house, okay? All of a sudden, you start going out with somebody. You're just dating the person. And you allow the person to live in your house, okay? You let them live in your house, and you let them stay there about, let's say, a month or two, like two months. And all of a sudden, you decide it's like that person can't live in your house anymore. And you tell them to leave, and they don't want to leave. Legally, you have to go through the process in the court system to evict them. Even though they're not on the title, they're not owners of the house, there's no lease with them being there, but because you allow them to live inside the premises and to dwell in the house, legally they have rights. Legally, you would have to take them to court and go through a process to evict them. Now, some of us would be like, that's pretty weird. Why are we talking about tenant laws? All of a sudden here we're talking about like uh, pretty much spiritual uh, things here. Because spiritually there's a couple things that happen the same way. Your heart and life, you've given that title over to Jesus. You pretty much say, God, my life belongs to you. But all of a sudden you let the enemy's thoughts dwell in your heart and mind. And what ends up happening is that the enemy starts having his own little section inside your house, in your life, and legally, he pretty much has the right to be there because you let him be there. You didn't evict him. You just allowed him to dwell in your house. And even as much you say, God, my whole life is yours. I give you my heart. But in one words, you're saying, God, I give you my heart. But in the other way, in your heart and mind, you're allowing the enemy's thoughts to dwell. So you could be a Christian and your heart and life could belong to God. But if you allow yourself to entertain and to invite and to believe the lies of the devil, the enemy pretty much is able to build a stronghold in your life. And legally, he has a right to be there because you let him be there. So you can't say, God, I give you everything, but let him stay. If you say, God, I give you everything, you have to evict them. And tell them you have to throw them out. But there's a process to throw them out as well. So for us, we need to realize that just because you know Jesus... It doesn't mean that you automatically live in victory. And some of us, we might think, it's like, how come I know God, but how come I keep getting tripped up? How come I'm still struggling? How come I feel all these obstacles, all these giants are always in my way? But in reality, you're defeating yourselves because of the thoughts that you are believing. You yourself are tripping yourself in your journey with God because you're allowing the enemy to have legal right to be active in your life because you've believed what they said. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want the enemy to have ni un closet in my heart and my life. Not even a little tiny closet, not even the pantry closet, nothing. Nothing. Not even un closet, nowhere, shape, or form. Not even a glove compartment in my car. If I open my glove, you better get out of there too. You know what I mean? It's like nowhere in my life. And this is the thing, how I mentioned before, is that the territory of your heart and life and pretty much the area that God gave you to rule, it's your responsibility to maintain victory. Like I know that even in my life, even as a teenager when I was 18, 19 years old and I started to understand certain things when people were teaching me, I remember even at that age, I would start saying, hey, trying to take authority for the area that God's given me. As a teenager, knowing that God wants to fill every space. Because think about it. If the enemy has any stronghold in your life, if you've allowed any of his thoughts to, if you've believed them, dwelt on them and stuff, that's an area of your life that God is not Lord in. That's an area of your life that God is not dwelling in in power. And not because God's not powerful, it's because you haven't let him dwell in power in that area. You've believed what the enemy has said. I'm going to read to you a passage, a very interesting one. In Luke chapter 11, you could turn there. In Luke chapter 11, verse 24. Here, it's an interesting passage where God, Jesus gives us a, a glimpse of what happens in the spiritual world when it comes to certain things like this. Earlier in that chapter, Jesus cast out a demon, and then we're going to start in verse 24. It says this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, he goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. Now, I want you to realize this. Like here, obviously, it's in the scriptures, and God wants us to realize this truth. When the enemy is taken out of our life, you could say, when you've kicked the enemy out, the enemy's first place to go is wanting to go back. It's like, no, I've had victory in, this is, let's say, the enemy speaking. I've had victory in their life, a stronghold there for so many years. And now I'm kicked out? No, I want to go back to where I was. So it continues, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Now, I'm going to pause there because there is something very important that we need to highlight here. You might even want to use your pen there to give you a better understanding of how he found the house. Because right there, you, you might think swept clean and put in order. You might think it's a good thing. You're like, oh, I wish my house was swept clean right now. Like, you know, you might be thinking it's like I need to go home and sweep my, clean, uh, my house and put things in order. You might see that as a good thing, but in reality... It's not. Because these Greek words have multiple meanings. The same way in English, you might say one word and it might mean two or three different things. Here, 
this one word means something else as well. And I'm going to highlight that. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean. That word swept means, it means empty and unoccupied. That's the other meaning, empty and unoccupied. So the enemy left, came back, and found the house empty and unoccupied. And then it said it put in order. That put in order in Greek means to ornate and to beautify. So in a sense, it's like all of a sudden, the enemy left. The house was left empty and unoccupied. And just beautiful things were decorated in the house, you could say. Then all of a sudden, this ends up happening. Verse 26, then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And then we're going to uh, continue here with everything that's happening. As Jesus was saying these things, in verse 27, it says, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. So here you have a fan of Jesus with what she was saying. And then how does Jesus return to, or to her statement? What does he reply? He replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So here it's like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. You're a fan. But blessed is the person that hears the word of God and obeys it. So what, what do we see here? It's like one of the major things that we see is the fact that pretty much the enemy, if you want to have victory in your life over the enemy, and let's say you kick the enemy out of your life, in your life you have to fill your life with God. You can't li let your life be unoccupied. You can't l let your life be empty. You need to fill your life with God's word and obeying God's word, living for God. You can't have an empty space because if all you do is evict the enemy of your life, you could say, and you don't fill it with God, the enemy wants to come back. And he doesn't want to lose ground, so he's going to come back and come back with stronger force than what he was before. So for every person here, we want to have victory. But we need to realize that this is a war that we're in. And that's why the series is called Declaring War. You're declaring war to gain any area of your heart and life that you've allowed the enemy to have. You're gaining these grounds. You're gaining these territories. But you need to realize as you gain these territories, you need to fill it with God. You need to fill it with prayer. You have to fill it with worship. You have to fill it with obeying his word, reading his word, meditating on his word, and living for him. Because as you fill the empty spaces, then there's no room for the enemy to go back. You've clearly declared who your heart and life belongs to. Every single area. What I find interesting in that story too, what I find interesting is that the house was empty, unoccupied, but it was beautified. It, it was pretty much ornate. They decorated the house. And I tell you this, that there's a lot of Christians in this world that they are losing the battle for their soul 
because they're declaring Jesus with their mouth, but they're letting the enemy have territory in their heart and their mind. But yet outwardly, it looks beautiful. Outwardly, it looks ornate. You pretty much have the nice big Bible. Maybe it's the leather bound. You know, you might show everybody. Praise Jesus. You know what I mean? You have the nice big Bible. You might listen to Star 99.1 every single day. Every drive that you have, Star 99.1 is on. But in reality, you know that there's certain areas in your life that the enemy has control in. So it doesn't matter how beautiful you look with your Sunday's best. It doesn't matter how ornate your life might look. You might have nice things, nice material things. You might have a nice checkbook. You might have a nice car, whatever it might be, or maybe you don't have it, but your life will be, might be filled with all these things that you've decorated your life with, but yet in your heart and your mind, you know you're losing the battle. In your heart and your mind, you know that you're losing the battle for your soul. God wants you to have victory, but in many ways we don't have it because we've believed what the enemy has said. And remember how I told you, the enemy is slick like a lion. He, it's about be, scheming. You might be sitting here saying, this isn't for me, but in reality it is. The enemy sometimes makes us feel like we don't have any issues. We don't have no problem. It's okay for us to live in fear. It's okay for us to live addicted. It's okay for us to have an anger problem. It's okay for us to always be in a place where we always feel defeated. It's okay for us to have all these circumstances in our life pretty much happen as a pattern over and over again. And we think it's okay, but it's not. God wants us to have victory. Now, something that's important for us to know, our weapons to fight are completely different from the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, it says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. Pretension means like every claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive. Everyone say take captive. Every thought. Say every thought. And make it obedient to Christ. Okay, you can say that too. Make it obedient to Christ. Now, I want you to hear, I love this passage, how it says, pretty much it says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. It has divine power to demolish strongholds. Right now, this moment, if the enemy has a stronghold on your life, pretty much the weapons that God gives us is to demolish this stronghold, whatever stronghold you might have. And what I love too, it says pretty much to demolish arguments. How many times in your mind you fill your mind with arguments? You're arguing with people that's done you wrong. In your mind, you play everything. Someone did something to you about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and you're still arguing with them. They might be dead and you're still arguing with them in your own mind because of what they did. 
all of a sudden there's these arguments that end up coming up. Maybe they're arguments that you have with yourself. Here, every claim, like sometimes you might make claims yourself, oh, I can never change. That's a claim you're making. Like God can't do that. That's a claim you're making. It's like all of a sudden there's certain claims and arguments that we could end up having that are contrary to the way that God uh, wants us to live. And then it says this, um, it says, for everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we take captive every thought, take control. That's why I said in the beginning, every thought that comes in either finds a playground or a prison. When the enemy comes in with a thought, all of a sudden, nah, this isn't a playground. I'm not going to entertain your thought. All of a sudden, you're in prison. You put the thought in a prison, and it says there clearly, take captive every thought. And I love the fact that says every thought. Every single thought that comes in that's not of God, you take captive. And pretty much every single thought that comes into your life, you put it through your own security checkpoint. It's like, no, this mind is a battle here, and you're not going to roam around any thought. It's not just going to dwell and do whatever it wants. No, no, I'm going to hold it captive, and I'm going to take control of every single thought. And then it says this, and make it obedient to Christ. I love that part. Any thought that comes in, you make it obedient to Christ. I don't care what that thought is saying. No, 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 no. All of a sudden, you're talking to yourself there. You're not going crazy, right? You're talking to yourself. It's like, that thought is saying this about me or this about a situation. I'm going to make that thought obedient to Christ. And what I love how it says, I'm going to make the thought. So it's like, I'm going to wrestle the thought down and make it obedient. So all of a sudden, in your life, when a thought comes, you have a choice to make. When a thought comes, you have a choice either to let it do whatever it wants as a playground in your life, or you're going to take it captive and hold it, pretty much take control of it. No, you're not going to reign in my day. You're not going to ruin my day. You're not going to spread these lies. I'm going to wrestle you and make you obedient to Christ. So all of a sudden, every single thought you pretty much bring down, and you put it at the foot of the cross, making it obedient to Christ. It's like all of a sudden, it's like whatever thoughts are coming through, you see it through the lens of what Jesus says. It's like we know that every knee and every, um, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We should know that every thought that comes in through our security checkpoint will confess that Jesus is Lord and will bow before Jesus as well. Pretty much, I'm not, pretty much we're not going to dwell and we're not going to entertain anything that's not of God. But the choice is yours. In Romans 12, 2, it says this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs in this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you, changing the way that you think. 
then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So that second part to that verse is really interesting. So many times we're like, I want to know God's will for my life. You need to first allow God to transform your mind really before you could even test and know what God wants you to do in your life. So here, this is the battle that we're all in. And I wonder if you're choosing to win this war in your heart and mind. Because there's three different types of people. There's the person that completely thinks that we're not in a battle at all. At all. Like, Carlos, you might be sitting there, Carlos, I don't believe anything you said. We're not in a bar, um, battle at, at, at all. And all I know is I'm going to go to Taco Bell afterwards. That's probably what you're thinking. Then there's the other person that knows that they're in the battle, but at the same time, they're not willing to fight. I tell you this. This battle that we're in to have victory and to live for Jesus is a daily battle. It's a daily battle you choose to crucify your flesh and to live for God. It's a daily battle to pick up your cross and to follow him. It's a daily battle to listen to God and to do what he wants us to do. Remember the story I told you in the beginning the lion is waiting until he sees the best opportunity to, to attack. The lion is not in a hurry. He's not in a rush. He's letting the schemes take its place. And slowly, by, little by little, he's inching his way to find the place to attack. Right now, this moment, there's areas in your life that you know the enemy has had victory. But God wants those areas to be demolished. He wants every pretty much chain, we sang, uh, sang it earlier, every saw, um, pretty much chain to be broken. For the enemy not to have any hold on us. And I'm going to give you certain examples so you could know. But I know for a fact that you know what I'm talking about. Because there's certain thoughts that you've believed that the enemy has whispered in your life that you've taken as true and you've built your life on it, but it's not from God. The first one is I am not loved. Right now, this moment in this room, there's people that feel like I am not loved. Like even though you know that, like you've heard it, like God loves you, you still feel like you're not loved. And why do you still feel like you're not loved? You feel like you're not loved is because the enemy for so many years have built a stronghold, pretty much thought after thought, saying that you're worthless, saying that you're not loved by anyone, and you've believed it before it started as a whisper. And you had a choice to either trap that and say you know what that's not true that's not true i'm not loved or like all of a sudden grabbing that thought and taking it at the foot of the cross and then reminding that thought this with the bible passage from jeremiah 31 3 it says the lord appeared to us in the past saying i have loved you with an everlasting love i've drawn you with an unfailing kindness 
All of a sudden in this passage, we clearly see that God's love is everlasting. So when those thoughts come that I'm not loved, you take it captive and you take it at the foot of the cross and you see it through God's word, through what Jesus says. Another one that might be tormenting you is that I am nobody. There's people here that deep down inside, you feel like you're nobody. You feel like there's no value in your life. You probably think it's not even worth living. You probably think it's like, you know, what am I living for? No one pretty much sees any value in who I am. But in 1 Peter 2.9, it says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. So all of a sudden when that thought pretty much comes, I am nobody. And and you know what it is? The enemy sometimes uses people, people you don't know or people that you do know, maybe some people that you love that make you feel like you're nobody. But when those thoughts come, you have a choice. Let it have a playground. Let it do whatever it wants. Or you take that thought captive and you take it at the foot of the cross and you remind yourself what God's word says. Another one that the enemy whispers many times is I will never live a life of significance. I'll never live a life of significance. Pretty much that there's no purpose for your life. You feel like you're just going in circles. You feel like you're just chasing after the wind and not really accomplishing anything. There's really no significance to your life. And you know what it is? Some of us, we've believed that. We believe what the enemy has whispered. We believe that there's no reason for us living and having significance. And we've allowed the playground to take place. But we have to hold that thought captive, take it at the foot of the cross, and be reminded in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And of course, this verse was directed to Jeremiah. But do you see God's heart? That's God's heart for all of us, for every single one of us. There's a plan for our life. And as long as we're believing the lies of the enemy, we'll never know and be able to test and see what God's will is because we've believed the lies and the whispers that the enemy has. Some of us need to stop pretty much giving the enemy the cement it needs to put the bricks of thoughts over and over again to build a fortress in our hearts and mind. We need to grab a sword, the word of God, and use the sword against the enemy. Instead of supplying the enemy with cement and say, no, I believe the bricks you're giving me and let me help you build a fortress in my heart and mind. We need to tear down and demolish the strongholds that the enemy has been trying to do. Some of us have believed this one, I am not smart. You just believe it. You just believe that you're not smart. Some people might be telling us like, oh, you should go to school. You should do this training. You should do this. You should step up and do this. And all of a sudden, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I I won't be able to understand it. And we could think of so many reasons why not. 
And even if there's certain obstacles and challenges in your life, you could decide to accept the challenges that the enemy or the obstacles that the enemy has given you, or you could decide to fight the battle no matter what. And we're not in this alone. We're in this as a family. We're here to help each other have that victory as well. If the enemy has been telling you that you're not smart, in James chapter 1, verse 5, you could grab that thought, hold it captive, take it at the foot of the cross, and remind yourself, if any of you lack, lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you're here, and for some reason you've believed that, or for some reason you feel like you need more wisdom, when was the last time you asked God for wisdom? He says here he's willing to give you the wisdom that you need. Another one is I will always be addicted. Some of us feel like you will always be addicted. Even though that you know that God could set you free, even though you know that there's power with God, in deep in your heart, you've believed the lie that you'll always be addicted. You'll always be addicted to alcohol. You'll always be addicted to drugs. You'll always be addicted to pornography. You'll always be addicted to whatever the enemy might be dangling in front of you. But you believe that you'll always be that. But that's a lie that the enemy is whispering in your ear and heart. That's a lie that so many of us have chosen to believe. But we have a choice to make. We can either lay back and let the addiction have its way in our life. Or we could choose to fight. We could choose to draw the line and say that, no, you're going to have victory in this area because you will grab that thought, take it at the foot of the cross. And it says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed in John chapter 8. Verse 36, if the sun sets you free, you will be free. And this is the thing, how I said before, it's about us coming forward and being in this battle together. Some of us, all of us, we need people, we need one another to help us walk in this journey to have the victory. But it's your choice to whether allow the enemy to have its way or to stand up and fight for you, what you know that God has given you. I'm going to give you a couple more. I'm always going to be depressed. You just accepted it. It's just who you are now. But I want to remind you in Romans 15, 13, I want to remind you to take that thought captive, take it to the cross, and read Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us, the thought is, I will never have victory over the giants in my life. The giants that you might have in your life, you might feel like you'll never have victory over them. But God wants you to realize and never forget to grab that thought captive, wrestle it, and make it obedient to God's word, to God, 
Because in Psalm 18, 47, 48 says this, He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalt me above my foes. From a violent man you rescued me. Pretty much saying God is the one that will avenge you and even fight your battles as well and help you knock down the giants in your life. Some of us feel like I will always struggle with lust. You just feel like lust is just part of your life, that you can't have victory over it. But you know what? We've believed that we can't have victory over it. When those thoughts come, you have to hold them um, captive, take them to the cross. In Galatians 5, 16, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Some of us might be, I will pretty much in our minds, the thoughts might be, I will never be able to forgive them. So many times forgiveness, unforgiveness is a huge barrier to receive what God has for us. And in your heart, you've decided that you'll never forgive the person. You'll never forgive the person that's done you harm. You'll never forgive the person that's hurt you. You'll never forgive the person for the words that they did to you or the the actions that they did to you. But you need to realize that that unforgiveness, who's fueling that unforgiveness? Who's fueling that? It's the enemy. The enemy's fueling that unforgiveness. Every time you you say that you'll never forgive, You're handing over cement so that he can solidify the bricks a little bit more in in the fortress in your heart and your mind. Because we know that God wants us to forgive. But sometimes we rather live in that bitterness and unforgiveness than win that battle in our hearts. What are you going to decide to do? In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 it says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And the last one, I gave you 10 examples. It says, I will never change. Some of us feel like we'll never change. But we need to be reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So I don't know what whispers you've believed in. But even now, the altar is open. And we're going to sing again, break every chain. And symbolically in faith, it's to break every chain, tear down every stronghold, pretty much tear apart every thought that we've believed the enemy has had in our life. You no longer have to give these areas to the enemy, but you can live in victory. And you might be here and you might even be struggling and wanting to come forward, but maybe even someone that's next to you knows that you need this. You could come with them if you want to as well. Because the choice is yours to whether to draw the line on the sand and to battle. Or your choice is to give up and let the enemy have its way. If everyone could bow their heads. And if you know 
that you've believed certain lies of the enemy and you know that in your heart, mind, and life at this moment, there's certain strongholds that you have. I want you to stand where you're at right now. Just stand to your feet. Standing, declaring that you're drawing the line on the sand. You're not going to give any area for the enemy to have anymore. Every area of your life, heart, and mind is for God. You're declaring war to take back the areas that the enemy has stolen. And the enemy is trying to destroy your life. The enemy is just trying to destroy your family. The enemy doesn't love you. The enemy doesn't care about you. The enemy wants to see you completely destroyed. You, your family, your children, your spouse, whoever might be there. But you need to do everything possible to break every chain. You need to do your part and take responsibility to tear down every stronghold. And for those of you that are here that would like prayer on the same topic, I want you to come forward. I want to call the pastors and the elders to come forward to help pray and pray for those that are coming forward. As you come forward, know that you're doing this because you know that you need this. You need prayer. And let me tell you something. We shouldn't be alone in this battle. So many times we're trying to fight battles by ourselves. But we need other people alongside of us to make sure that these battles are won. Anyone else, come. If you're in the balcony, we'll wait. If you're here waiting, come as well. And during this song, I want all of us to sing loud as a declaration for God to move and break every chain. If I could ask a couple of the intentional leaders to come forward as well and help us pray for those that are here. Father God, as we're here gathered, we raise our hands and surrender. God, we give you everything. We make you Lord over our lives, over every area of our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. You will reign, God, in our lives. God, we just turn to you, God, and we ask for forgiveness. Forgive us, God, for believing so many times the lies of the enemy. Forgive us, God, for chasing after the things that the enemy dangles in front of us. But God, now we come before you just surrendering everything to you, God. God, we pray that you would teach us, God, how to hold every thought captive and make it obedient to your word, Lord God. That we would make it obedient, God. That we wouldn't believe what the, pretty much the enemy is whispering to us, but that we would take every thought captive and we would bring it against God's word and know and trust God's word over anything that the enemy might be whispering to us. God, we pray that you would give our hearts such a burning desire to read your word more, God. God, that we would read your word every day, that we would spend time talking to you, God, that we would fill the empty spaces in our hearts and lives with more of you, God, so that, God, every inch, square inch of our lives would be filled with you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Give someone a hug and God bless you. Just want to remind you in case you're part of the team in the lobby.